This episode is brought to you in part by Dr. Tony Evans, author of Kingdom Kindness. Learn how to become a countercultural force by reflecting God's kindness. Find this and other uplifting resources on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Joe Jensen, welcome to Viral Jesus. But then when you really dig down deep, these emotions of isolation and loneliness, and then the anxiety that kind of emerges from that, uh, really demonstrates the fact that you can be connected digitally, but disconnected relationally in the true like God-given meaning of that term. From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus, a show about communication and the power of social connections, where we talk to some of the most influential Christian content creators to find out how they've made their faith go viral. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. According to the Schaefer Institute, 70% of pastors are fighting depression, 71% are burned out, 80% believe pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families, 70% say they don't have a close friend. With this as our backdrop, I'd like to introduce you to Joe Jensen. Joe Jensen is Barna's Vice President of Church Engagement Joe Jensen is passionate about turning research into action. He is using 20 plus years of church ministry and executive leadership experience to engage and serve the global church and her partners with the insight and knowledge of the Barna Group. So I like to open by reading to people something from their social media. In your case, I'm actually going to pull up a quote from the Barna Group. And I just want to set it up by letting people know who are listening that, Joe, you have been just phenomenal, an asset to me. Um, I've been able to call on you to speak to my students and do some training for them on what we're seeing in church statistics and church leadership today and what we're seeing about this next generation. So, and they loved you, by the way, so much so that I just showed your lecture from last semester to my students this semester. And I was like, I have to have Joe come on and and talk to our people with Viral Jesus about what we're seeing in the research with the church and pastoral burnout and this next generation. I just feel like there's so much to maybe be deflated by, but there's also so much hope, you know? So I hope that that's where our conversation goes. But here's the tweet that I found. It says this, loneliness is a growing problem in the United States and people from younger generations can actually be more likely to experience it. And the graph that's posted with that says that 46% of millennials say they feel lonely all the time, which actually was shocking to me. Almost half of people say they feel lonely all the time. What are you seeing in the research as it relates to loneliness right now? Yeah, you know, Heather, that's the thing about this question is loneliness, I think, is a symptom of so many other things. And so to put all those things together, I think it's one of the great challenges Mm. of leadership right now, right? Uh, um, Because you look at loneliness and you say, okay, well, people feel isolated or they're not connected relationally. Um, And you think that's the, the root cause. But especially with the younger generation, I think we have found that there's so many things we have to look at and consider uh, otherwise, I think we miss we miss the deeper problem. And so, you know, our research can only tell us so much, right? We we really careful at Barna to not draw any, you know, any you know to make any statements of causation just based mm-hmm. on uh, things we see, um, you know, potential correlations. With that said, though, there's a lot of other you know research that we can bring in to kind of fill out that picture. And so, the way I go, or the you know the direction I take with this is, I really take a look at the whole life 
of you know the younger person, the millennial, the Gen Z, and I and I consider okay, what's leading to loneliness? You know, one of the things I see is that they they live a very in because of technology, because they're digital natives in, in, in many ways, especially Gen Z and some of the younger millennials, there's this reality that they live a very disembodied life and a mm. very disintegrated life, if you will. They spend so much of their time on social media, you know, so the average Gen Z and young millennial, they'll spend, you know, five and a half to six and a half hours a day on their devices. And then you throw in other pandemic related, you know, the hyper digital aspect of the pandemic, the fact that now they're spending so much of their homework and so much of their class uh, day on a device, on some type of screen. I think what's led, you know, what's come out of that, this kind of hyper digital moment of history has kind of led to a hyper disconnected generation. Mm-hmm. And, and so we're starting to see some of these loneliness stats come about and, and emerge, uh, I think, because of just how disembodied their lives are and how disconnected and this is the thing. I think the deception is that, you know, we, we hear teenagers, we hear young adults say that they feel very connected to people. Um, but when you really dig down into that, they feel connected because they're connected digitally. And their mm, definition of connection, right, has, has really been defined by how they view it digitally. But then when you really dig down deep, these emotions of isolation and loneliness, and then the anxiety that kind of emerges from that. Uh, really demonstrates the fact that you can be connected digitally, but disconnected relationally in the true like God-given meaning of that term, of that idea. So that's what what we're seeing is that there's a lot of different factors that lead to loneliness besides just, okay, I'm not connected with anyone or I don't have any friendships. There's so many layers to this younger generation that we have to really pay attention to. Okay, that is so important. And I want to sit on that for a second because as a communication professor, one of my favorite things to talk about with people is words and how we will hear someone say a word and we attribute our meaning to theirs. And oftentimes it's two very different things. And just for example, um, in some of the research and how God changes the brain, they talk about how 90% of the time when we hear the word God, each person has a very different idea of what God looks like, right? So then we start yelling at people, oh, you don't believe in God. What is wrong with you? Well, what is their perception of God? And would you even believe in a God that they don't believe in? if they were to define for you what that word means. So some of what I'm hearing you say is we have to start defining for ourselves the words that we're using in a time like this. I What does connection look like, right? And start answering that question. What, so what, what would you say when it comes to church? And actually, I was going to ask you this question later, but it kind of fits right now when we're saying the church is still, we can keep moving online. Well, what does that, what does church look like? What is the very definition of that word? What does connection with Mm -hmm. my church even look like? What are you seeing in the area of church and loneliness? Yeah, that's such a great question, Heather. And I I would say in this moment of time, this moment in history, I think the church and, and her leaders are really being challenged with you know this question of like what are we really called to do right uh. as pastors as church leaders and you know we'll always say you know we'll always come out with words like discipleship right spiritual formation transformation spiritual growth like we know in our heads what we're called to do but i think we're really at this crossroads where we're really realizing that the way we've been doing it for the past few decades or i would have been say the past few centuries is not going to work for the future and what i mean by that is 
I think mm-hmm. we have relegated discipleship to the transmission of information mm-hmm. in hopes of trying to convince people to believe a certain thing based on the information that we presented. And so we do it, you know, typically in a very deductive, logical way, right? You know, you know, in, in college, I took homiletics classes, expository preaching, and it's just like, okay, here's the idea, deduce it down to like what you're wanting your audience to believe, and then let's pray and hope that they believe. And I'm not against expository preaching by any means, but I'm just saying like what we have done is we have basically said, here's the information, believe, and then kind of live the life. I think we're in a point in history where the transmission of information and basically the transmission of content is not enough. It's not sufficient. And I think we even have a a younger generation that's kind of calling us on that, to be honest, where they're not wanting that version of Christianity, where it's just like just convince them to believe something and then they'll believe and then they'll change their life. It has to be a lot more integrated and holistic. And so, yeah, when, when you talk about, you know, what we're seeing right now is, is they're wanting more than just content. They're wanting true connection and they're wanting that content to come through true connection, whether they're telling us that or not. Mm. I really believe that that's what they're wanting. And so, I really think as church leaders, as Christian leaders, wherever, whatever sector of society you find yourself in where you have the opportunity to influence another person, I, I would just encourage all of us, we have to break out of our mold of just transmitting information, transmitting content as the means to help people grow holistically in their lives. We have to walk alongside of them. I think we have to return to the old way of the Talmud right? The old way of discipleship, which basically says, I'm not going to just tell you how to live and then send you on your way. I'm going to walk with you. Mm. Uh, we need, we need walk, a walk about what I call like walk along discipleship, you know, out of Deuteronomy 6, where, you know, as a parent, the best way for me to parent, the best way for me to lead is to walk alongside of the people that I'm leading, not to just give them a bunch of information to transmit some content uh, and then say, good luck. So that's what we need. And that's really the connection, the opportunity. When, when we have a generation saying, I'm lonely and I'm wanting connection, there's an opportunity for us, for the church to meet that generation in a really meaningful way to say, I'm willing to put in the time to connect with you on a deeper level and to actually walk with you on your journey. Talk to me a little bit about what the mission of the Barna Group is. I am somebody who, I I told you this in one of our first conversations, I love the Barna Group research. I have been reading data from you guys since definitely in high school. I remember just being very shaped by some of the research that was coming out back then. And I want other people to understand what resources you guys have available for church leadership and everyday Christians. What, What is your mission and how can people get connected to you? Yeah, that's, you know, that that's funny because a lot of people try to figure out like who Barna is and what we do, right? They know we do research. And so a lot of times people relegate research to a bunch of stats and numbers and graphs. And we're so much more than that. You know, uh, we were founded by George Barna over 35 years ago. He was one of the only voices connecting research to like faith and culture, mm-hmm. right? And so he established a uh, a really great company, a really great heritage that we we've been able to p- kind of pick up on and hopefully carry into the future. You know, David Kinneman bought the company from him over 10 years ago. And David's really expanded that to where, you know, Barna is not just a stat machine or stat company. Uh, we're, we're really, we consider ourselves a thought leadership and communications company. 
to serve the local church, to serve Christian leaders all over the world. And this is how I'd answer that. There's a biblical mandate. You know, we kind of take a page out of the, the tribe of Issachar, you know, who in Chronicles said that they help the king, you know, understand the times and know what to do. Mm. We feel like that's our calling for the church today is to help church leaders, help Christian leaders understand the times and then to know what to do based on what they come to understand. And, you know, I've told you this, I think I, I actually talked to your class about this. You know, um, when we train young church leaders, we train them in, in a lot of different practical ministry skills, right? And at the foundation of those is hermeneutics, right? We teach young Bible students how to study the Bible in a responsible, methodical way. We want to ensure that what we're teaching the Bible is something that's actually coming from the Bible in, in mm. a disciplined way, right? And, and so we teach that. Well, one thing I never learned as a young leader in seminary and Bible college was the idea of a cultural hermeneutic. I learned a biblical hermeneutic. I didn't really learn a cultural hermeneutic. Mm. And that's a lot more difficult um, in some ways. I mean, it, it's a challenge to study the Bible, but at least there's like a methodology, there's a science to it that we've taught and we've passed down from generation to generation. A cultural hermeneutic is a little bit different, especially as how rapidly changing we find culture. You know, it's it's changing a mile a minute, especially with digital technology. I mean, it just seems like you blink and there's something right. new and you're trying to keep up. A lot of the, the leaders we talk to, I mean, that's part of like, and we, we can talk a little bit later just about what what's leading to pastors and church leaders burning out. I think one of the things is like just culture is moving so fast, it's really hard to keep up with what's going on and do all the other things that we're called to as pastors, right? Mm -hmm. And so what we try to do at Barna is try to do a lot of that work that a lot of pastors just don't have the time and training to do, which is to understand the times through a, mm -hmm. a really disciplined approach um, with research and to be able to say, okay, here's what we see what's going on in culture. Here's what you, how you can understand um, those things in a really tangible way. And then here's some solutions to maybe, you know, that will help you lead your people better, help you lead your church better, help you engage your community more effectively. And so these stats, these aren't just stats that we just put out to entertain or to, to grab a news headline. Uh, we really want to, you know, help leaders really understand what's going on in culture, how faith and culture are colliding, and then what the church can do to provide meaningful uh, help for people so that we can really ultimately disciple people to be followers of Jesus. And that's our goal as a company. How would somebody get connected to some of your resources? Well, the easiest thing is, you know, go to Barna.com and you could subscribe and you can follow us, um, you know, on social media. But, you know, if you, if you become an email subscriber, you'll get weekly emails on, you know, the latest research and insights. Uh, we have a great research team, a great editorial team, a great engagement team. And our teams are, are here to just help leaders figure out what to do with the new research. And then, you know, if you want to go deeper, you, you can subscribe to Barna Access. If you go to BarnaAccess.com, you could subscribe to that platform, and then you get everything that Barn has ever done, what we're doing now, and what we will ever do in the future. You get it all in one, you know, low monthly subscription. So, uh, and really, like again, all of that content is designed not just to give you a bunch of information; it's to really help you lead better in your context. And I can't stress enough how helpful it's been for me for decades now, actually. So the show is called Viral Jesus. Obviously, I love social media. I love technology. I think that there's so many benefits to it. However, I'm not crazy. I recognize that there are some real red flags that we may be missing. Talk to us about that a little bit. What do you think are some of the positive ways that 
social media and technology have been able to help our witnesses as Christians and help our discipleship process? And what do you think are, hey, you know what, guys, you might want to pay attention to this as well. This could be a red flag for you. Yeah, that's such a great question because, by the way, I've got two teenage girls, about almost three. She'll be uh, a teenager in just a, a couple months. But uh, I'm walking this journey every day with my teenagers. Um, so those questions, you know, the questions you just ask, those are the ones that keep me up at night as a parent, mm-hmm. not just as a Barna employee and as a former pastor. But w- what we're seeing is, you know, from our research, and we did an amazing um uh, a global next gen study a couple of years ago with World Vision called the Connected Generation, and yeah, I kind of alluded yeah. to this. Yeah, I kind of alluded this this dichotomy uh, earlier, but you know, w- there's a generation that feels very connected. They're very open to new possibilities because of social media, because of digital technology. But at the same time, they admit that they feel lonely, that they f- they feel anxious, and so we have a generation here that's used to living in that dichotomy. And it's actually just become their way of life. Their way of life is to manage the tension of being hyper-connected digitally, right? And, and like then having to live through the effects of having to navigate what that means, the, the both the, the benefits and then the challenges and the pitfalls. And so what I've seen, I kind of sum this answer up with this kind of idea of the gospel according to TikTok. Now, I got this idea from, you know, David Kinnaman, my boss, you know, for a couple of years, has been talking about this idea of the gospel according to YouTube. And, uh, you know, he's talked about how YouTube kind of shapes and forms so much about like where we go for answers to the various problems and questions of life, both, you know, trivial and silly, both, you know, and all the way to the deeper things, right? Well, I think for the next generation, I've really noticed that it's the gospel according to TikTok, especially these Gen Zers, right? And so, what I see with the gospel according to TikTok is TikTok has been able to crack the code of integrating or having a, a young person integrate TikTok into almost every aspect of their life. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I, I noticed this a couple of years ago when my teenagers started to do things that I didn't see them doing before, right? Uh, all of a sudden they'd be cooking a recipe, right? a new recipe. And I'm thinking, well, where'd you get that recipe? You know, from Pinterest or something like, no, I saw it on TikTok or, or kind of a new clothing trend. I'm like, wow, okay. I've never seen you wear that before. What, where'd you get that? Was, well, I saw it on TikTok, you know? And all of a sudden I started to hear that phrase a lot, not just with my kids, but, but with, in a lot of other different spheres, I heard it on TikTok. I saw it on TikTok and they weren't just like the typical things like you know, choreography from Charlie D'Amelio or anything like, like where, how it started. It, it was, it was starting to permeate almost every aspect of their life from mm-hmm. what they cooked to what they wore, to what they listened to, to what they watched. And all of a sudden TikTok started to, to become a part of their everyday life. And that's when I started to realize, I started to kind of draw these comparisons between the gospel according to TikTok and the gospel according to Jesus. And I started to think, okay, wow, when Jesus walked this earth and when he passed off kind of the great commission to his disciples to carry forth the gospel into you know, all ends of the earth, um, what did he mean by that? You know, what was the gospel originally supposed to do and what was it originally supposed to be? As I study the gospels, you know, I, I've come to see that the gospel was and is supposed to be that reality shifting paradigm shifting way of life. It's supposed to permeate everything that we do. Now, I'm not saying it informs what we cook in the kitchen and what we wear on Monday morning, 
but it's supposed to be that thing that it's the core of who we are. It changes our identity, our purpose, our calling, the way we look at life, the way we conduct ourselves in, re- in relationships with work, school, everything. It's supposed to permeate everything. Yet, what have we done with the gospel in this culture? We have compartmentalized it. We have relegated mm-hmm. it to a couple hours a week on a Sunday morning or maybe a couple minutes a day in a cute package devotional. When I see the gospel of Jesus, it was intended to change us from the inside out. It's supposed to like reshape and, and it's supposed to like integrate into every part of our life. And I look at the gospel according to TikTok and I think, wow, they've done something that the church was supposed to do hmm. with the gospel. And I think we just dropped the ball. Now, again, you know, I was in ministry for 20 years and it's not easy, right? Um, but I'm just calling it out. Like we have to change the way we disciple, especially disciple this next generation. You know, and David, you know, Kinnaman in his book, Faith for Exiles, he dropped this two word bomb that I, it's like, I, I, I think about this all the time. He said, screens disciple. Okay. Screens disciple. We have to recognize that the screens and, and the platforms that are in, within those screens are discipling us. They're forming us. Now, the question is, what are they forming us into, right? And so screens are discipling us, and we have to be aware of how they're discipling us. And then I would say we have to make sure that the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are discipling people in a gospel-centered way so that the gospel actually is the center of people's lives. And so that can answer your question about what are the, the ways that social media is good, like what are the ways that it's a helpful tool? Well, that's that principle screens disciple. Actually, we mm-hmm. can leverage that truth so that the gospel of Jesus permeates even social media. Like we need Christian leaders, church leaders, we need to be using social media to disciple this generation instead of letting these other platforms disciple this generation. Um, so there's, there's that. But I think the pitfall is we need to make sure that we're not connecting a generation even deeper into the very thing that is disconnecting them from the true essence of Christianity, which is life-on-life discipleship. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, Bow offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org.
I love everything you're saying. I actually was almost going to cry. My eyes were watering because what what you're talking about the gospel does is it's supposed to literally transform us into you know just a better more connected holistic version of ourselves and i know that experience so deeply of what it feels like to have met god and just slowly for me it wasn't an overnight process but it was like this slow gradual totally reshifting that i'm still going through even right now of how i see myself and how i see the world around me and my community around me. And my fear with social media is that it can be such a great place to start, but I just don't want anyone to finish there, right? Like how do we encourage people to have their own worship, right? And not just let me recap mine. How do we encourage people to say, I want that? Because you can have that for yourself. You can have God answer your prayers. You don't always need somebody else to pray for you, though that's wonderful. Your prayers are heard by God. You may or may not have an answer for that, but how do we do that? How do we keep inspiring people to not just watch somebody else's relationship with God develop, but actually encourage them to start and engage in the messy process of building their own? Yeah, well, I, I think first we need to help people tap into their God-given curiosity for more, mm. which is tough. I think that's the one of the things that we don't realize has gotten, that has become numbed within a generation, right? Is is we start to live our lives through the lens of other people, right? And, and I think more specifically with social media, through the stories of others, through mm-hmm. the, the posted photos of others. And, and I call this the Grand Canyon effect, right? So, so I grew up in Arizona. I only went to the Grand Canyon one time. I was like, it was like a field trip and it was, it was foggy and cloudy. We couldn't see a thing. So we went back and then I, I never went back. Right for whatever yeah, I am reason. I'm so disappointed in you right now. <laughs> I know. That is my dream lived, to go to the Grand Canyon. I know. Right? It was. It was just <laughs> foolish. It was like ridiculous. I can't believe it. So I didn't actually go to the Grand Canyon and see it in person. And this is as an Arizona resident growing up. Wow. Um, until I was like in my 30s, I went back with my kids and my family. We went up there. It was amazing. And here's the thing: how many pictures, how many photos have I seen of the Grand Canyon over the last you know 35, 40 years of my life? Thousands, right? Just in here or there. And you look at it and you're like, okay, wow, you can appreciate the beauty of the Grand Canyon by seeing a really nice photo of it or some a painting, somebody's representation of it. But there's just nothing like being there, seeing yes. the Grand Canyon in person, being able to look around and seeing how vast the landscape is, how deep the canyons are. And you realize just, I mean, there's so many emotions that flood, right? I'm getting goosebumps now, just like actually thinking back to my first time in the Grand Canyon. And and it's really, it's not about the Grand Canyon. It's about the illustration of the fact that we, we get content living so much of our lives, looking at pictures, looking at a screen of, of somebody else's life, of somebody else's experience. The beautiful thing about the Christian life, we don't have to long for something that somebody else has. Like we have the Holy Spirit within us, right? Mm. Each person who calls themselves a follower of Christ is a temple of the Holy Spirit which means we don't have to go to some grand cathedral to visit God, right? Every day we can experience him in, okay. in amazing ways. We have the Grand Canyon experience, so to speak, within us. Mm. We just have to open our eyes to that, that reality. We have to broaden our perspective that God is not someone we have to go to to experience, and he's not somebody that we have to 
we have to experience through somebody else. And so I love that question. And I think with the Grand Canyon, it's just like, it's a reminder that, you know, we live so much of our lives on screens that it can be really easy just to become content to live our lives through screens instead of saying like, let that God-given curiosity, right? That thing that he's given within us, like how can we tap that, tap into that so that we have these Grand Canyon moments where we actually are saying, I'm willing to go spend a little bit of my time and money and resource to go experience something in a real tangible embodied way. And I think that's really what we're missing in our culture today. Yes. And whether that's physically going to the Grand Canyon, maybe that's what you need to do. Take a pilgrimage Mm -hmm. and go to the Grand Canyon. But you know what I mean? Like that's an analogy. It's symbolizing the fact that we got to stop being content, living our lives through screens, through the eyes and experiences of somebody else. And we need to start experiencing those things ourselves. I love that. I asked people on Twitter if they could ask you anything, what would they ask you? CPMR underscore Gibson says, how has COVID-19, the pandemic, affected burnout among pastors? What is the next big shift that he sees in his research? Should pastors be preparing for something coming next? Wow, that is the question of the day for Barna right now, actually. (laughs) Okay, Uh, so it's a great question. And, And I think it's a great question because I was a pastor for 20 years, right? I worked in local church ministry. I know Heather, you and your husband have uh, for so many years, and it's a tough, difficult time to do ministry. But I would say it's always been tough doing ministry. Mm. Before the pandemic, even just before my lifetime, you know, you can read chronicles of pastors of previous generations saying how difficult it was. Now we have a unique set of challenges today, and we have to be real about those, right? We have some really big challenges ahead of us. And so I think the biggest one is really coming down to, as a pastor, what are we called to do? And and really understanding that on a deep level. Uh, right now, we have a crisis of calling for church leaders and pastors in America. So a big stat that we released a couple months ago was we found that 38% of pastors have seriously considered quitting full-time ministry in the last year. First of all, when you consider that, right, some people would say, well, that doesn't surprise me given everything else going on in culture, given the great resignation, you know, like pastors are just like everyone else. Like they're kind of questioning, is this what they want to do, you know, full time, you know, with their lives. But I think there's a lot more, there's a lot more factors to it underneath that, that I think are unique to, to the pastoral calling. You know, one of them is I've been talking a lot about how you know, a lot, um, a lot of churches in America, it's not really okay to not be okay if you're a pastor. That's just my opinion. Mm. I, I think a lot, of, a lot of pastors feel this burden and this weight to have their lives all together that they, in order to help people get their lives together, they have to have their lives together. And they feel this burden. Sometimes that burden is, is put on them, like they put it on themselves. A lot of times that burden is, is I, I really think... Uh, yeah, it's projected, projected and kind yeah. of inadvertently, or maybe sometimes inadvertently put onto them, mm-hmm. right? We want to really pay attention to the emotional and mental and relational well-being of pastors. That's what we're going to be tracking. We've been tracking that for the last couple of years. We're going to continue to track that. What we're finding is, you know, 60% of pastors either say they always or, or most often feel alone. They feel disconnected. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have pastors who we, you know, we did a study last year that, you know, 52% of pastors never get any type of counseling. 14% of pastors say that they uh, never talk about their mental or emotional health with anyone else. 
Okay. So we have pastors who are kind of retreating into themselves. They're trying to like figure this thing Mm -hmm. out on their own. They're disconnected. They're lonely. They don't feel like they have any close friends in their life. And I think all of those things, plus just the pressures of leading in a pandemic, you know, leading online church, as well as trying to, you know, get people in person, all of these pressures to reach the next generation, to preach effectively, to navigate the current times, and then all the internal pressures that they feel, it's, it's just too much for a lot of pastors. And they're, they're coming to a point where they're thinking, is this really what I was called to do? Um, can I really keep this up? Uh, a lot of pastors are telling us that they're feeling burned out or they're, they're approaching burnout and they don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're paying attention to that and we're really trying to encur- encourage you know, elders, deacons, congregants to really come around their pastors and support them. Send them a word of encouragement you know, as you wrap up the year, as you go into the next year. Um, just be really proactive yeah. to reach out and, and encourage them in what they're doing. At Magicianary asked, is strictly virtual church mm. viable? What do you think? Vi- well, that's a, that's, a, that's a deep question, right? Um, <laughs> it's a loaded question. Well, I would just say, here's my opinion. I'm not going to speak on behalf of Barna here. My opinion is that right. it's not. Okay. Uh, I know there's some churches that are doing it. Some would argue they're doing it successfully. Uh, my opinion is that the church was never meant to be disembodied, right? And there's so much that can mm. that can be done online, okay? And I don't want to discredit that. There's a lot of great ministry, a lot of great discipleship that can right. happen online. You said it earlier, right, Heather? It's like social media is a great place to start, but it may not be the best place to finish. And I love that. I'm, I wrote that mm-hmm. down. I'm going to like take that and probably share it. <laughs> but that's the thing, Heather. Like just because something works pragmatically doesn't mean it should work uh, purposely, like if, if that makes sense. Like, I think we need to remember the true purpose of what Christian community was intended to do. Right. And, and there's some things in the digital world that just fall short of that, that ultimate purpose and calling of the church to make disciples. Again, if you look at the way of Jesus, like Jesus modeled a way of discipleship where he was physically in person with people. And I just can't, I Mm -hmm. I can't contextualize my way out of that. I've tried, you know, I look at it. It's like, you have to be with people. Now the pandemic didn't allow us to be with people, but I I think that was, that was a temporary solution that shouldn't necessarily lead to a permanent one. Like, I don't think a digital, you know, digital Mm -hmm. church should be the only way a church reaches their community and disciples their people. Again, that's my opinion, but I just think um, we're relational embodied beings. And it doesn't matter how how hyper-digital our culture is, you can't rewire something that we're innately born with and born to be. And, and so just mm-hmm. because something is productive, just because something is efficient, doesn't mean it's right. Just to echo you, as an educator, you know, we had online education and there's no comparison, right? I have never lost so many students in a semester than we did when they were online. And I keep track of my numbers of the students that I just don't see anymore. I mean, you'll always lose a couple, but it was, it definitely increased probably like 15% when there wasn't that face-to-face. How do you compare 
lecturing online to a Zoom room of X amount of people to you sitting it with me in my office. And that happens for me all the time where a student will say, can I talk to you after class? Because they have the opportunity to do that when we're face to face. I think the barrier of entry becomes so much greater when you feel like, well, they don't see me. I'm just a person. I'm just like a number in a screen as opposed to I saw Heather yesterday face to face. And I think the same would be true of yeah. our church experiences. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. And and here's the thing. So going back to the title of this podcast, Viral Jesus, you know, I've been actually thinking about this, like what is it going to take for Jesus to become viral? Mm-hmm. In in a really gospel centered way, not in kind of like a cliche kind of you know trendy way. I, I've been saying, you know, for Jesus to become viral, he has to become vital. Some of the things mm-hmm. I was saying earlier about Jesus has to be he has to be at the core of our existence, right? He should permeate every aspect of our lives, just not a couple hours of programming uh, one day a week. Again, we live in a very disembodied world. Um, we have to bring people back to the fact that. For Jesus to be vital, um, he has to be integrated in every area of our life, and one of those is in, in our relationships. And it's really hard when you have relationships that are completely dis- disembodied and disconnected mm-hmm. uh, because, I mean, we can be connected to each other with ideas and information and thoughts, but when we're in person and we're connected in person, we're walking with each other in person, there's an aspect of our lives, and when Jesus is at the center of that, there's nothing else, in my opinion, that can replace a Jesus-centered, gospel-centered, in-person relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just haven't seen it. And so I kind of go back to this thing. You know, I've always told students this. I've always told, you know, the teams I lead. It's like, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Mm-hmm. And we live in a culture where we can do a lot of things. And a lot of times the can informs our shoulds. Mm. And as leaders, we need to have more discernment than that. Now, can we? Do church completely digital? Uh, no in person? Yeah, we can, but doesn't just because we can doesn't mean we should. We have mm. to look at what we should do, and what we should do should be informed, you know, by a gospel-centered biblical worldview. And and that's what I always keep going back to that and saying, yeah, of course, digital has its place and we could use it as an incredible tool to reach people, but it's a means to a greater end, in my opinion. Let me ask you one more. Oh, actually, this one's interesting. So Benjamin Lundquist, his handle is Benjamin Lund. How is technology making pastoral burnout worse? But we, let's do this part of it. It says, how can technology be used to fight against pastoral burnout? Any thoughts on that? Wow, uh, that's a good question. Um, I thought so too. Yeah, yeah, because what it does is it really opens up that, you know, there's multifacets to that that question. I've, I've heard this a lot. Like uh, a couple pastors recently said, I didn't sign up to preach to a camera. That's not why I answered yeah. the call. Right. And there's a lot, you know, what they were saying, they unpacked that with me and, and they're not like against, you know, preaching to people online, but they're just, what they're kind of alluding to what they're, what they're talking to is the fact that there's a whole set of mental exercises, a, a lot of preparation that has to go into preaching effectively to a camera. I mean, unless you're really a natural on camera, it's really hard to talk on camera, right? To look at a lens, right? To preach or teach to somebody, knowing that on the other end of that lens, somebody's watching when all you see is glass and reflection and bright lights coming at you. And it's really hard. And so Mm -hmm. I think technology is, is provided this amazing tool for ministry, 
but it's also just, it's, it's really tough for pastors, especially those who aren't tech savvy, those who, or maybe those who are tech savvy, but just get a little fatigued and burned out because so much of their lives are now lived on technology. And so I think that's one thing is, you know, I think leaders trying to navigate technology and, and the, the digital world and the pandemic and all the, the impact that the pandemic had to push them more towards digital. Um, it, a lot of churches survived because of digital, but now a lot of pastors are burning out because of digital. And again, we don't have any like specific stats on that. That's just like anecdotally, you know, the dozens of mm-hmm. pastors I'm, I'm meeting with and talking to on a monthly basis are telling us, telling me that they're really fatigued because of not so much digital itself, but all the preparation, everything that goes into them having to um, add that to the, an already complex uh, calling. And so, and, and so I don't know if that answers the question uh, for Benjamin. I think it's Benjamin, right? Like, um, you know, ways that yeah. technology is contributing to burnout. But also, you know, again, there's a lot of pastors we're talking to that they're saying it's actually helped them relieve some burnout. You know, the fact that it takes a little bit of the pressure mm-hmm. off of them. And it's actually opened up a whole new way of, of them being able to do ministry and a whole new audience that they weren't able to reach before. So again, mm-hmm. a lot of pros and cons there. And it's yeah. just, you know, we're seeing pastors kind of stuck in the middle of navigating the tension of those pros and cons. Joe Jensen is Barna's vice president, church engagement. Joe Jensen is passionate about turning research into action. Joe, I've been ending each interview with a question. This show is called Viral Jesus for a Reason. Virtually all credible historians, Christian and non-Christian alike, agree that there is plenty of evidence that a man named Jesus actually did live and walk this earth 2,000 years ago. How can we, 2,000 years later, best communicate who Jesus was and what his mission is today? Well, this might be repetitive with some of the other answers that I've heard your guests say, but it has to come from an authentic walk with Jesus ourselves as leaders. You know, we have a generation now because of, you know, social media and, and because they're able to see so much. I, I think we have we have a generation that's able to kind of sniff out falsehood and they're able to sniff out a lack of authenticity. And so I think we for right. Jesus to become viral, he has to become viral in our hearts. Like when you think of like that's why I love the idea of viral. It's like you know, in a negative way, you know, if you have a virus, it just, mm. it, it impacts your entire body, right? It, it kind of goes into every vein, every, you know, it, it's, it permeates everything. And I would say, you know, for Jesus to become viral in our culture, he has to become viral in our hearts and in our souls and our lives, which means he has to, we have to authentically walk with him in every area of our life. Yeah. And I would just say, you know, that principle where, you know, from the mouth comes the overflow of the heart, you know? Um, Jesus realized this truth and he passed that on to his disciples and he passes that on to us today, you know, from the mouth, uh, from our keyboards, right? From our screens, from our pulpits comes the overflow of our heart. And so we need to walk authentically with Jesus. Jesus needs to become viral in our hearts for him to become viral within the communities and the people that we lead. Thanks, Joe Jensen, for joining us for this episode. 
We like to end every episode with a little segment I call Growing Viral. And this is where I give you some direct strategies you can implement into your real life that will help you be a better communicator and connector both online and off. Here is your Growing Viral homework. Thank a pastor. If there is a pastor you know who has been a blessing to you in any way right now, pull out your phone and send them a text. Pray for them, encourage them, and remind them of how important their work is because of how important it has been to you personally. Most pastors aren't at megachurches making lots of money from book deals and speaking engagements. Most pastors are trying to serve their local congregations and communities with very little thanks. So right now, I'm asking you, don't wait till tomorrow. I want you to do it right now. Invite them to coffee, write them a card, send a text, encourage a pastor because the harvest is plenty. The laborers are few. Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Next week, we will talk to Marianne George from Maverick City about the Christian music industry. I'll see you next week for another conversation where a Viral Jesus guest talks and you and I listen so we can learn. I love growing with you on Viral Jesus.